Oh, <laughs> so you are multiple languages here now. No? <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, well, good to see you all tonight. Trust your week is going well. We are in the book of Ephesians tonight in our study. And uh, what a great subject. We've been talking about our salvation, our so great salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we're going to emphasize that again tonight. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for your word now. I pray that you would give me grace to teach it and uh, just bless our interaction around the things of God. And thank you for the Holy Spirit and uh, his uh, interaction with the word of God, bringing it alive and and helping us to see the deep truths uh, related to our salvation. So uh, enrich our lives as we spend this time in the word together this evening. I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, the theme of Ephesians is the universal church, and uh, Paul begins after his initial greeting with a, a grand, the grand scope of salvation. You have one long sentence in the Greek from verses 3, chapter 1, verse 3 through verse 14, and uh, he's really dealing with the various deep aspects of our salvation. I mean, deep aspects related to predestination and, and election and... Uh, All of these things, tremendous emphasis on God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit. All of these things kind of relate to our security, our our salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. And then uh, after verse 14 in chapter 1, 15 through 23, you really have a, a prolonged prayer for divine enlightenment. That they would be able to see deeply and appreciate the great truths of, of our salvation. And uh, we do spend a, a good amount of our time but studying uh, what we already know, the truth of our salvation, but the, the various facets of it as far as the depth of it. And he continues on in that vein tonight in chapter 2. We talk about the believer's past, where we've been, where we are now, and our future uh, related to our salvation. Okay, uh, let's uh, have somebody read about our past, which is kind of dark. These first three verses are pretty dark. Somebody want to read uh, the first three verses, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3. Why don't we do that? Somebody want to read it? Yeah, John? Okay, thank you. Uh, Notice he begins here, and uh, you he made alive in my new King James is really not the most accurate because uh, this phrase, he made alive, is really not brought out until verse 5. It it is a part of the surrounding text, but it's not in verse 1. Verse 1 literally just says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. So he starts out with uh, emphasis on who we were before uh, before we knew Christ. And when he says, and you, we think he's still talking about those related to Gentile background in, in contrast to Jews. He gets to Jews also, as we get to, to verse 3, it says, among whom also we, uh, we all, and so he's including both Jews and Gentiles as he goes along in his, his thought process here. But initially he's talking to those of uh, essentially Gentile background when he says, and you who were dead in trespasses and sins. The word death means separation. 
you know what happens when a person dies physically, right? What? <laughs> they stop breathing. Yeah. And then what happens? But what happens to that person? It, it continues on, right? But it's, it's separated from the body. What happens is the, the soul, the spirit, leave the body at the time of, of death. And we have a clear statement of that in James 2.26. As the body without the spirit is dead. So faith without works is dead also. So uh, you know, that's the idea of, of death, separation. You who are dead in trespasses and sins. That is, we were, we were separated from the life of God. We were, we were spiritually dead. Uh, we really lived in the graveyard of sin, as it were, where you don't really know life in God. The wages of sin is death, and that's where we all are. Uh, you know what God told Adam, the day that you eat of the forbidden fruit, what's going to happen? You're going to die. Did he die that very day? Well, you've got a yes and a no here, right? It's a yes and no. Uh, how would we answer no? He didn't die physically that day, did he? But how did he die? Immediately, there was, a, there was a change in his relationship with God, right? Now he's hiding and saying, well, let's cover ourselves. And, and there's a disruption between him and God. Of course, Eve as well. But what, what was that indicative of? Spiritual death. There was a spiritual separation between him and God. There was, a, there was all of a sudden guilt. There was sin that entered in. There was a, a break in that relationship between him and God that we call spiritual death. Exactly. Well, that's where we were. Uh, we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were alive in our body, as we like to say, alive in our body, uh, alive in our soul, related to our emotions, our intellect, our will. But we're dead in our spirit. As far as a relationship with God, we did not have that that relationship with God. Uh, so we were we were spiritually dead. And notice uh, the word dead does not mean sick. We weren't just sick, right? And say, uh, you who were sick in trespasses and sins. Uh, no, we were dead. We were dead. You know, which is worse, to be sick or to be dead? <laughs> That's right. The condition of death is, you know, this is going to require, um, to get you back uh, with us, it's going to require a miracle, Right? I mean, doctors can help you, and you go to the doctor, and they give you medicines, and they work on you. They help, but once you're dead, what do they do? Sorry, we can't do any more. He's gone. Uh, we were dead. Uh, we weren't just sick. We were dead in trespasses and sins. Uh, trespasses is the idea of being over the line. Uh, we were out of bounds. Uh, we had gone into forbidden territory, uh, all of us. And uh, sins is the idea of to miss the mark. We fall short, and we all fall short, very short. What is the mark? Perfection. God's holy standard, right? I often use the Missouri River as an illustration. It's like, okay, let's say we're going to try to jump across over into uh, paradise, which happens to be Nebraska in this illustration. But uh, some of us might jump a little further than others. But you know what? I'm pretty sure we're all going to come far short, right? Nobody's going to make that, that jump. We all come far short. And that's the idea. We've all sinned, come far short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the standard. So we were dead. We were dead in our, in our trespasses and sins. Um, any thoughts there before we go on into verse 2? 
Yeah. Sorry. No, no, that's okay. You can just keep your hand up, Vince. That's great. <laughs> you know, I think it's really neat, uh, the transition that occurs. Uh, in chapter 1, uh, Paul describes the current condition of believers, you know, going back in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. And now we go to chapter 2, in trespasses of sin. But there is a, there is a contrast between, between who we are and our position now versus to what we were. Yeah. Right? I think of John 5.24, right? Uh, we cross from death to life. Amen. That's a great, that's a great uh, input there. Amen. True. Uh, tremendous emphasis, I think, uh, nine times in verses 3 through 14, in Christ, in Christ, and now in sin. <laughs> yeah, in trespasses and sin. Yeah, that, that's right. That's great. Amen. Praise the Lord. Spoken like one who has done a little study in Ephesians. <laughs> That's great, Vince. Appreciate it. All right. Anything else? Okay, let's press on. Verse 2. In which you once walked according to the course of this world. Uh, When we were dead in trespasses and sins, uh, we were walking. Uh, But it's a walk of death. Uh, You know, you don't usually think about dead people walking. But we were uh, the walking dead. In, 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 that, in one sense, uh, which is in contrast to the walk of life. And there is a clear distinction between the walk of death and the walk of life. And, and he's going to talk about uh, how we walked according to the, the course of the world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Uh, but uh, this is our past life before Christ. We were the walking dead. And the way you walk really is telling on you. And the expectation of scriptures, there's going to be a difference between how you walk in terms of a dead person versus a person who has life. Uh, the walking dead, the, the walk of the dead is different than the walk of the, the living. And of course, we're talking uh, spiritually. You know, it's kind of interesting. Um, we talk about uh, people sometimes oversimplify what it means to be spiritually dead um, in, in one sense. Because, you know, corpses don't do anything, right? They don't. They don't move. They don't do anything, a corpse. But being spiritually dead, it's kind of interesting. Uh, Can spiritually dead people be under conviction? Yeah, Yeah, they can be. Uh, So that's what I'm saying. You've got to kind of be careful as far as how far you go with that analogy. And I I bring that up because some people go so far as to say, and it's true, we cannot do anything apart from God. Apart from God's intervention, and we'll see that emphasis on grace as we go along here. And yet it's kind of interesting how God goes to Cain in his lost condition, in his reasoning with Cain. uh, Sin wants to master you, but you should rule over it. Uh, Well, Cain could say, well, hey, I'm I'm spiritually dead, you know. But God is intervening here and working with Cain and, and holding him accountable for the response that he's going to make in that situation. Someone has said, yeah, you know, as far as conviction, um... Yeah, it's a, a very lively corpse indeed, in, in a sense. There's mystery there. But uh, we were the walking dead, and uh, we walked according to the course of this world. Uh, notice the walk here relates to the practice, our, our conduct, our behavior, our way of life. And uh, our whole way of life was like this. It, it was according to the course of this world. Now, when he says according to the course of this world, what is, what is he talking about? Um, this world in terms of what? This world's system. That's what I'm looking for. This world's system. In other words, it relates to the, the values of this world. 
and uh, how it thinks, uh, its uh, attitudes, and so forth. And what is the attitude of this world system out here? What, what defines the world system out here? Self. Self. What else? Yeah, that's true. How about this? Rebellion. Rebellion against God and all those other things that enter into it. Uh, the world is a, is a rebel system. It's aligned with Satan as we will go on to see here and even in the same verse. But uh, the course of this world is a, is a rebel course. It's a self-governed course in, in that sense. I'm going to do it my way, as, as someone said. Uh, so it's, it's very much related to, tethered to this world, very selfish, uh, rebellious against God. And uh, the world is not a friend to Jesus Christ. It's in rebellion. Uh, the Bible says before we're saved, we are enmity with God. That's, that's the rebel uh, world system. It's, it's an enmity with God. It, it doesn't appreciate God at all. It doesn't want God. It is in rebellion against him. That's how we walked. Before we were saved, in, dead in our trespass, not having any uh, relationship with God, cut off from God. Uh, we're like Adam and Eve running around in the garden trying to hide from God. And uh, that's the way the world is. We walked according to that, the course of this world as well before we were saved, all of us. Um, some people say dumb things once in a while. You talk to them and say, how long have you been a Christian? All my life. Really? So, so the first couple of verses here in Ephesians do not apply to you, right? In chapter 2. It just doesn't, you know, you weren't dead in your sins and trespasses. Is that correct? No, that's not correct, obviously. Okay. Um, according to the prince of the power of the air. Isn't that kind of interesting? According to the course of this world is right in sync with according to the prince of the power of the air. Uh, the, the prince is the idea of the ruler of the power of the authority and of the air refers to the, the heavenly sphere in which the devil still has access. We don't, we don't know a lot about this. Uh, you know, we do know that he has some limited access to heaven. Uh, he accuses the saints before God day and night, as it says in the book of Revelation chapter 12. We know in Job chapter 1 that uh, Satan was able to appear before God and, and you know, they had discussion about Job in, in that occasion. So he still has some limited access. Now, that's not always going to be the case uh, in terms of him uh, having this uh, being the, the prince of the power of the air, uh, whatever uh, jurisdiction he has out here or whatever uh, access to the heavens he has. At some point, uh, that's going to change. When's that going to change? Yeah, he's going to be cast out. And that's, again, Revelation 12, where he's going to be cast down to the earth. The boy's going to be very angry and go about in a, in a ferocious way after the Jews, etc. at that point. But uh, right now, he still has uh, some, some access to the heavens. He is the prince of the power of the air, even if we don't fully understand all the ramifications of that. But that's clearly talking about the devil. Uh, we have similar terminology to this, by the way, in chapter 6, verse 12. We, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against these, these forces uh, of evil in the, in the heavenly places. Seems like there are uh, some uh, um, strongholds in these, in these heavenly spheres uh, of some kind. And, uh, but notice how it describes him. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Uh, the devil is a, is a spiritual being and he has a pervading influence. And 
it's far and wide in relationship to this whole world system. And even we as believers feel the pressure, the satanic pressure, where the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. The world is right in sync with the devil. And uh, there's pressure for us to conform along the way uh, as well. And uh, notice what he does with these folks, though, who, who now works in the sons of disobedience. They're walking according to the course of this world, which is in step with the devil. And it's according to this spirit, uh, this prince of the power of the air, this spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. This is a characterization of the lost. What defines them is disobedience. Uh, if they are the children of disobedience, the sons of disobedience, uh, what should we be as believers? Well, we are the children of obedience, right? If they're the, if they're the sons of disobedience in which Satan is you know, having his way with them and the whole world is under the sway of the, of the wicked one, as we see in, in 1 John chapter 5. But uh, clearly the devil is working through these people in a big way. Uh, you go to chapter 5, want you, uh, if you've got your Bible there, chapter 5 and verse 6, he says, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. He's talking about the lost. So one of the descriptions of the lost in, in the Bible is sons of disobedience. This is what defines them. Now, uh, there should be a clear distinction between true believers and, and unbelievers. They are the sons of disobedience. We as believers are sons of obedience. Now, not perfectly. Uh, none of us are uh, glorified yet. We all make mistakes. We all mess up. But I think down deep in the heart of every true believer, there is a desire to obey. We have the Holy Spirit. We have a new nature. And that combination of the Holy Spirit and our new nature always wants to do what's right. Now, we still have the flesh and we feel the, the pull of the flesh. But you know the thing about the flesh? that It doesn't work too well for us now. You, you know, you can't find satisfaction running after the flesh. Uh, the world has, they don't either, but uh, uh, there's a difference between where they're at and where we're at uh, with a new nature. Okay, any other thoughts there before we get into verse 3? One more dark verse before we turn the corner. Yeah, Kurt? Uh huh. I just think that when, when you read this and you look at our current day, oh. you know, we oftentimes say, what's the matter with these people? <laughs> We ought to be just looking at it saying we expect this of yeah. people. And if anything, we, we pity them and need to pray for their souls. Yeah. And I think it's one of saying, why can't they see a godly way or whatever? They're, they're blinded. Yeah. Amen. Their eyes. So only by the grace of God can they get out of that. That's right. And it really changes my view when I look at it that way versus Amen. Well said. Amen. That is so true. One thing that comes across so clear here is that unless God works a miracle in these people's lives, it's not going to happen. I don't care how smart you are, how great your arguments are. It's not going to work apart from a, a miracle of God working in the hearts of these people, which is where prayer comes in. We're praying for God to intervene and to God, for God to work in their hearts. That's good. All right. Um, very good. Let's go on to verse three here. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. Uh, so this applies to all. We were all in this condition. Uh, no holier than thou here. Uh, no exceptions. Among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh. 
the lust of the flesh are the desires of the flesh, the cravings of the flesh, uh, the cravings of, of that old Adamic nature that we often refer to as the as the sin nature. And uh, that's how we lived, all of us. We, we conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, uh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh. This is the, the attitude that says, if it feels good, I do it, right? That, that's the idea, fulfilling the desires of the flesh, those illicit bodily appetites. And uh, the desires of the flesh here would be like, you know, I just act out immorally. If I, if I, you know, hey, if that's what I want, that's what I do. But then he also talks and of the mind. It seems to make a little distinction here in terms of the practice of doing it. And maybe you don't actually do it, but you're fantasizing about it in your mind. Well, that too is according to uh, the lusts of the flesh and how we once conducted ourselves. And so, you know, you say, well, I, I don't actually engage in, in physical immorality, but I watch porn. Well, here you are. It's covering both bases, whether you're actually doing it or whether you're just fantasizing in your thought life about it. The mind relates to the thought life, and he's covering both of those bases here. And then he says, uh, and we're by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So we were all the objects of God's wrath, of his righteous indignation. Um, just think about this as far as uh, being the children of wrath. Wrath is coming their way. They are under the wrath of God unless they repent. I always think about uh, John chapter 3 in this regard, uh, where in verse 18, we know John 3, 16, 17, not quite as much, but 18. Uh, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And then across the page there, verse 36 in that same chapter, John three thirty-six: He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Uh, you know, sometimes people say, well, the, God sends people to hell. Well, God doesn't really send people to hell in that sense. People are already on their way to hell. All of us were in that condition. Uh, we were all by nature the children of wrath. And uh, the wrath of God was like hovering over us. As it says in John 3.36, abides on him. Uh, we were in that condition. And apart from the grace of God, we'd still be there. Uh, as far as uh, dead, uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, this, uh, this issue here as, as far as um, uh, the three great enemies that we have. They're all really covered here in this, in this text here. The world... Uh, that system of rebellion that defies uh, God, uh, that world system of unbelievers that everybody's a part of. You know, when you get saved, you really leave uh, the world, this, this whole uh, family of rebels out here. And you now line up with the family of God and you're in one family or the other. And uh, that's the world system. And then, and then the other great enemy of God that's involved here is the devil. Uh, influencing the entire world, the, the prince of the power of the air, and uh, then the flesh. The flesh is the internal enemy that has a propensity for evil in the heart of people. And uh, the flesh is the idea of doing what comes naturally according to the, the natural sin nature. Okay, um, very good. Any other thoughts here? Um, 
emphasis on all here, uh, just as the others, uh, we, uh, we all once conducted ourselves in this way. We were all the uh, children of wrath, just as the others. There's no holier than thou here. Can't say, well, you know, we weren't, in, we weren't that bad. Yeah, we were. We were that bad. Yes. When I share the gospel with people, one of the questions I ask at times is, what does a person have to do to go to hell? They don't think about it, you know, and really we don't have to do anything. No. It's the default condition. That's right. You're already on your way. Exactly right. Yeah, you don't have to do anything to go to hell. Yeah, that's right. Amen. Exactly. Yes, Anita. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. Amen. Amen, sister. Very good. If you're a believer, that's true. Absolutely. And, and of course, Paul is addressing the saints. So that's right. Amen. That's great. All right. Any other thoughts? Very good. Okay. Let's have somebody uh, turn the page for us. Let's get to the word but, which is a transition word. And uh, somebody want to read about the present uh, versus uh, we saw the past. Here's where we were. So Nita says uh, what we once uh, did and so forth. But now verses four through six, the present. Uh, who wants to uh, read that? Four through six. Yeah, Anita. Okay, very good. All of these uh, things that he's been saying about us. But, but God, what a contrast. This is, this is the great hinge. Everything turns here. And it's kind of like he's painted this black backdrop. You know, maybe a, you know, picture a black velvet cloth of a, as a backdrop. And then you put a, a sparkling diamond on that black velvet backdrop. It's going to really make that, that diamond pop, isn't it? And what is that diamond? Well, it's the grace of God as we move through here. But God, who is rich in mercy. Uh, mercy is a special word. Um, sometimes we kind of have a hard time getting our hands around mercy. But uh, mercy is, is a disposition of pity, compassion, and care. And it's, it's not only a, a, a disposition of pity, compassion, and care, but it's really exercised towards those who don't deserve it, uh, who are uh, in misery, they are helpless, but they are re rebelling in that miry misery. That's the idea of, of mercy, undeserved kindness. I mean, we didn't go looking for God. We just continued to spit and kick dirt and cuss and blaspheme. And that's where we were. Say, well, we finally got ourselves kind of reformed. No, we didn't. Uh, we didn't. Uh, God who is rich in mercy. And why is God this way? Well, it says because of his great love which, with which he loved us. Uh, the word love here is agape, the, the intense word for love, God's kind of love. And uh, great love, his great love, not a kind of a mild love, his great love. It's intense, it was costly. His great love with which he loved us. 
This is what motivated him to move so that we might be rescued. Uh, that his his kindness would intervene, his mercy would intervene. This really speaks to the very the character of God, the kind of God that he is. And praise the Lord, he is a God of mercy and, and grace. All right, any thoughts there before we move into verse 5? Okay, let's go. Verse 5. Even when we were dead in, in trespasses. Did you catch that? Rich in mercy, great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. He didn't really wait for us to get our act together before he started feeling merciful towards us and and being loving toward us. Even when we were dead in trespasses, even when we were in the graveyard of rebel defiance, uh, kicking dirt in his face, even in that condition, when we were dead in trespasses, he didn't wait till we got kind of saintly and say, you know, well, they're, they're at least making a good faith effort now. <laughs> no, no, no. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he didn't wait for us to clean up our act. You know, when Christ died for us while we were still sinners, uh, you know, if it'd be up to you and me, we'd say, well, you know, when they kind of start reforming, we'll, we'll talk. <laughs> nope. Uh, when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, while we were, even when we were dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us. By the way, there, there's no real transition between dead and alive. You're either one or the other. You say, well, they're kind of in between. You know what that's called, right? Purgatory. <laughs> we don't believe in purgatory, folks. There is no purgatory. Uh, You're either dead or alive. You're one or the other. Uh, There's no in-between. By the way, that's true kind of physically as well, right? I mean, although you can be close to death and so forth. But uh, ultimately, you're you're present with the body. You're absent from the body. Uh, you're, You're dead or alive. And that's the way it is in Christ. But even when we were dead in trespasses, something happened. What happened? He made us alive together with Christ. He made us alive. You didn't do it. This is a miracle. Resurrection life is a miracle. Being brought back to life from the dead is a miracle. And God does it. Notice how it started, verse 4. But God, this is but God stuff. This is all God. By the way, made us alive is the main verb in verses 1 through 7 here, the whole study of tonight. This is the main verb that drives everything else. Made us alive. You can see why they kind of snuck it up there into verse 1. Got a little ahead of themselves though. It really waits till you get to verse 5. It builds towards this point. I mean, it's like Paul wants to see just how dead you were. Dead, 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 dead. And here's how you live. But rich in mercy, great in love, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive. Uh, what do we commonly refer to this as in, in the New Testament scriptures? Uh, New birth, new birth, regeneration. That's right, being born again uh, made us made us alive. Key chapters there would be John 3, uh, Romans 6. Made us alive together with Christ. He brought us into union with Christ. And we now share in Christ's life. And then he can't help but insert this little statement here, which is really the, the core of his whole gospel theology, By grace you have been saved. 
But for the grace of God, there go I. It's all the grace of God. And he interjects that right here. Uh, Parenthetical thought here, which is the central idea of his gospel, which is a gospel of grace. Uh, Grace means God's unmerited favor. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We don't work for it. You certainly don't make yourself alive. You were so dead that you couldn't do it. He did it. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace. By grace you have been saved. Uh, We often uh, refer to grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. And that's exactly what it is. Uh, God is the one who provides our salvation. I got a little thing here. It's got works on one side and grace on the other. And, uh, you know, you got all the world's religions over here, uh, including uh, perverted forms of Christianity like Catholicism. Uh, Mormonism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, traditional religion, all of these things. What they all have in common is that works are a part of the equation as far as getting to a better life beyond this life. Uh, On the other hand, uh, Christianity is uh, all of grace. We have a, uh, we, God, has has a corner on grace. Christianity is the only Religion that really teaches a a gospel of grace. It's what's unique to Christianity. Everything stands or falls on this, the the, the gospel of grace. And what is the symbol that we have for Christianity? Is it scales? You know, uh, how are you going to weigh out? People think this way all the time, right? When I get to heaven, he's going to weigh my good deeds and my bad deeds. Man, you are going straight to hell. I mean, what is the symbol that we have as Christians the cross what's that all about that's all about grace it's a symbol of grace it's not what we did who was on that cross well you weren't there I wasn't there Jesus was all alone on the cross he alone paid for our salvation that's grace by grace you have been saved by the way grace here is in the perfect tense you say is that significant yes it is significant you know what the perfect tense is Does anybody know what perfect tense is? Very good. That's it. Completed action. It's done with continuing results. That's the perfect tense. You've been saved. It's a done deal. Continuing results in your life. But uh, by grace, you have been saved. We're not getting saved. We've been saved. Perfect tense. We're already there. You either are or you aren't. Again, you're either either dead or alive. You're either saved or you're not saved. There's none of this in-between stuff. By the way, there's really three tenses related to uh, salvation. Uh, We've been saved from the penalty of sin. That's past tense. Uh, We have eternal life. Uh, We are being saved also from the uh, power of sin, Romans 6. And one day we'll be saved from the very presence of sin. So there's a a present and a future aspect, a past, present, and a future aspect. But here in context, it's, it's as though he speaks of our salvation as a completed whole, the consummation of the, of the entire whole package of our salvation. And it's so sure that he speaks of it in the perfect tense here. Okay. Any other thoughts before we uh, move on to verse 6?
Yeah, Vince? No, I, yep. think that, I just crossed my mind. I think that verse 5 gives us a good definition of what it means to be saved by grace. So what does it mean to be saved by grace? Or to be made alive together with Christ. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Amen to that. Yeah, that's, that's the definition kind of that comes out. Right, of right out of the verse. Yeah, amen, brother. That's for sure. Amen, that's good. All right. Anything else? Okay, let's go on to verse 6. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow, you talk about uh, a promotion. Uh, Not only have we been made alive together with Christ, he's raised us up together. So we've been exalted is the idea here. Uh, We share in the exaltation of Christ. I mean, it's awesome to be having been made alive together with Christ. But now he's raised us up together. Uh, we're riding with Christ, as it were. And we're sharing in, in everything that Christ is about here, in terms of his life, in terms of his exaltation. And note the emphasis on the horn. I'm not sure what that's about, but anyway. Uh, note the threefold emphasis here. Made us alive together with Christ, in verse 5. Raised us up together, verse 6. And made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Uh, You see the key word that's sticking out there? Together. Together. Uh, Again, we share in this reality uh, because of our union with Jesus Christ. uh, Our spiritual position. And uh, note here, uh, raises up together. Made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ. Where are you sitting right now? Not physically. I can see where you're seated but spiritually you're seated in the heavenlies in christ this this is our our position in christ the heavenly places uh, refers to the the supernatural sphere uh and this is how god sees us we we are seated with christ in heaven where is our citizenship right now it's in heaven that's right and we're seated there. I mean, it's just kind of hard to imagine yourself seated right there where Christ is at. Where is Christ right now? Well, he's at the right hand of God the Father. Can you imagine a higher position than that? Uh, I can't. I mean, at the right hand of God the Father. Uh, <clears throat> we are seated together with, him, with Christ in heavenly places. And again, the emphasis is in Christ. Uh, 27 times in the letter, by the way, in Christ, that emphasis. Uh, This is what it's all about for us, our union with Christ, together with him, together with him. And uh, God has put us in that position. All right, any other uh, thoughts before we finish out? We've got one more verse here tonight. We'll come back to you. Yeah, Marianne? Well, when we were reading verse 5. Yeah. Amen. For sure. Absolutely. John? Mm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's a great, great thought as far as 
what we really, who we really are in Christ and our position there in Christ. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, Vince. Mm-hmm. Now, when he talks about the together there, is he talking about together, that togetherness of each individual believer with Christ, or is he talking about the church, the group of believers, the us, uh, you know, all believers with Christ? Um, is he making sense, the question? Yeah, it does. I, I, I'm not sure that it's uh, maybe a both answer, because certainly I think it, he is talking to the church. But certainly every one of us are part of the church, right? So it's not like, well, hey, this applies to just some of you and not others. You know, it applies to all of us. Yeah, well, I was trying to get, I guess, maybe a better way. Was the emphasis on the individual or was the emphasis perhaps on, on the body? You know, we are all together there with Christ. Yeah, well, and... <laughs> Yeah, you know, the, 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 general, the general tenor of the letter is church truth. So I can see, you know, he's thinking about the, the bride of Christ, the body of Christ here. And even as we go into the next verse, in verse 7, as far as the position that the bride of Christ is going to have in, in the eternity future. But I don't know, you know, it's maybe a fine-tooth comb as far as making a, too much of a distinction there because... I say what applies to the church applies to all the individuals of the church. And uh, certainly we are rejoicing in our personal salvation as well as the salvation of the entire church here. So, yeah, that's, that's a good question. I just know how far to separate it. Yeah. All right. Uh, anyone else? Okay, let's go on and let's finish out. Somebody want to read uh, verse uh, seven for us? Who wants to read that? Yes, Marilyn. So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Okay. Why has God done all of this? Well, that in the ages to come, that, that's eternity, eternity future. Here's what's coming at you, friends. Uh, this, this is the eternity that, that God has in store for us. And, and God has done this. He's made us alive. We, we were so dead in our sin, as we have seen. But he's made us alive together with Christ. He's raised us up together with him. Made us sit together uh, in heavenly places in Christ. To what end? Well, then in the ages to come, he might show us off. God's going to show off a little bit. And it's not really showing us off. It's really showing him off. Uh, that... He might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. He's going to show off his grace that's been exhibited towards us. I mean, we are going to be pinching ourselves for all eternity that we are there and what God has done for us. And I think the whole of heaven, all the holy angels, everybody's going to say, wow, he did this for these people. Look where they were. And look how God has exalted them in Christ. Uh, he's going to showcase us as his trophies of grace. As he says here, the exceeding riches of his grace. Um, what an amazing thing. You know, uh, and I do think this does have a church flavor to it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, holy angels didn't get this uh, kind of treatment in the sense uh, angels are going to be, be below us, right? I mean, that's what the scripture says. 
in the kingdom. Angels are going to, you know, they are now just a little above us. But in the kingdom, we're going we're gonna to judge angels. Um, you know, the Old Testament saints, uh, I think they're going to have a very special place. But you know what? They're not the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. I think of all the people in the world, we in our union with Christ, you know, nobody before Christ is spoken of as being in Christ. I mean, it's the, that's church truth. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, that's all church truth. We are going to experience, and we have experienced positionally, we're there already, uh, but he's going to show the exceeding riches of his grace. Um, you know, I was thinking about this uh, we are we are married to Jesus Christ. We are in union with Christ. I, I think I'm thinking about weddings these days, but you know, marriage it talks about heirs together of the grace of life. Uh, we're heirs together with Christ, which is kind of a hard thing to get your mind around. But in in Romans chapter eight and uh, verse seventeen, it says, "And if children, then heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together." Join heirs with Christ. I don't think we begin to conceive what this really means. Across the page here in Romans 8 and uh, verse 32, it says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Is there anything left out there? All things? Uh, I don't think we begin to, we can't imagine what this means. Join heir with Christ? We're going to share in all things for all eternity. God could not have exalted us any higher in Christ. Exceeding riches of his grace. In his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Uh, His kindness is his love, his loving goodness towards us. Again, in Christ Jesus. I... um, Think about this phrase, exceeding riches, uh, the idea of it being immeasurable. Uh, it's abounding, overflowing. You can never exhaust it. Uh, I do think one, one of the, it's not inspired, but the song Amazing Grace, uh, what, what a great song that is. Uh, I want to close with this little story. H.A. Ironside tells this story. Uh, there was an attempted assassination on Queen Elizabeth I. And a woman dressed up as a male page somehow got into the royal quarters and hid herself in the queen's bedroom, waiting till she went to bed with the plan of stabbing her to death. She did not realize the queen's attendants would search the room before she retired. And when they did, they found her red-handed, hiding among the gowns with knife in hand. They immediately brought her before the queen. She realized that, humanly speaking, her case was hopeless. She threw herself on her knees and pleaded to the queen to show grace. Queen, if you show grace, what promise would uh, you make for the future? The queen said this. The queen said to her, if I show you grace, what promise will you make for the future? Woman, grace hath no conditions. It's, if it has conditions, it's not grace at all. Queen Elizabeth caught in the moment said, you are right. I pardon you of my grace. And they led her away a free woman. History tells us that from that moment on, there was no more devoted servant of the queen than the woman who intended to take her life. Well, that's a great story of grace. And uh, that is grace. But the exceeding riches of God's grace. You know what that, if we were to follow through on the illustration, you know what that would have done? That would have sat her on the throne with the queen. 
That's what God in grace has done for us. He not only saved us and gave us life, but in his exceeding riches, he has seated us together with Christ on his throne for all eternity. In the ages to come, he's going to showcase that grace forever and ever. Indeed, uh, what has God not done for us in Christ? Exceeding riches of his grace. Indeed, as Paul says, thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. It's indescribable. All right, any other thoughts as we wrap up here tonight? Okay, let's share some prayer requests. Uh, You have your prayer sheets there?